Our scripture reading this morning is from the first book of Samuel, the first book of Samuel, chapter 13. We want to read from verse 1 through to the verse 19. First Samuel, chapter 13, verses 1 to 19. If I might just make a very simple observation, uh, that this portion of scripture deals with David and his experience in the city of Ziklam. Ziklam was a Philistine city, and David had crossed the border between Israel and the Philistine territory. At that time, there was a king by the name of Achish governing over that particular territory. Now, of course, we have to recognize and accept uh, that this was a bad move or a bad direction that David was taking, going from the land of Israel uh, to the land of the Philistine. Saul had been hunting him for just over eight years, and that in itself was a great challenge to the Lord's servant. So we're going to take our reading uh, from verse 1 of the 30th chapter of 1 Samuel. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein they slew not any either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoham and the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the six hundred men that were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those that were left behind stayed. And David pursued he and four hundred men, for two hundred abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Besor. And they found an Egyptian in the field, brought him to David, and gave him bread, and he did eat. And they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs, and two clusters of raisins, 
And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him. For he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou, and whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me because three days gone I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the Kerithites and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah and upon the south of Caleb, and we burned Ziggler with fire. David said to him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing, because all the great spoil that had, been, that had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight even on to the evening of the next day, and they escaped, there escaped not a man of them, save four hundred young men, which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. We'll end our reading just there at the verse 19 of this chapter, knowing that God will add to the public reading of his word his own divine seal of approval and blessing. David's decision to relocate to the land of the Philistines, uh, governed by King Achish, was clearly motivated by a desire for self-preservation. So reads the opening words of 1 Samuel chapter 27. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. Evidently, the Lord's dear servant had entered a period in his life when he had grown weary of the constant threat that Saul had posed upon his overall well-being. For just over eight years now, he and 600 men had moved from place to place in an effort to avoid a confrontation with Israel's God-forsaken king. On at least a couple of occasions, the two were in touching distance of each other, but were restrained from inflicting a military solution to what, in effect, was a spiritual problem. It is therefore somewhat surprising that there is no record of David asking counsel at the mouth of the Lord before he crossed over the border to the land of the Philistine. He simply considered it as, there is nothing better for me. Circumstantially, 
it seemed, at least initially, that this was a good move on the part of Israel's future king. When Saul heard that he had gone to the land of Gath, he sought no more again for him. And David also, with his men, had been favored with the city of Ziglah as a present from Achish the king. Using this as his base, he successfully invaded territories controlled by tribes that were naturally hostile towards the people of Israel. However, that was not how his host had envisaged it. Achish, the king of the Philistines, was convinced that David's heart had been turned against his own nation and that he would seize the opportunity to extract revenge against the land of his birth. This unfounded preconception meant that David's actions against the inhabitants of the Geshurites, the Geshurites and the Amalekites was carried out in a manner that was brutal, that was ruthless, that was genocidal. First Samuel in chapter 27, verse 11, explains, And David saved neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Gath, saying, Lest they should tell in us. This must be classified as one of the lowest moments in David's life. For when he reported back to Achish, Israel's king in waiting, deliberately misled his host, convincing him that he had been in conflict with his own people in the southern regions of Judah. Although this false account momentarily took the pressure of David's life, it wasn't long until his actions would be put to the test. Word was filtering throughout the region that Israel was in a state of disarray. Saul had lost the plot. There was no evidence of Israel's people seeking the face of the Lord. And how much the presence of David in enemy territory added to their analysis is unclear. But we know that Achish, the king of the Philistines, wasted no time in enlisting the son of Jesse and his men for the warfare. And Achish said unto David, in first, verse 1 of 1 Samuel 28, Know thou assuredly that thou shalt go out with me to battle, thou and thy men. One can only imagine how David's mind struggled to recalibrate the understanding of this situation. Here he was, a Hebrew commandeered by a Philistine king to go out to war against his own kith and kin. On the surface, everything was mitigating against Israel's revered hero. And only a divine intervention could expedite him from this predicament. Merciful, mercifully for David, 
God moved the princes of the Philistines to question the inclusion of the Israelites in their army as being tantamount to military suicide. Make this fellow return, they argued, that he may go again to his place which thou hast appointed him, and let him not go down to battle with us, lest in the battle he be an adversary to us. Momentarily, this relieved the pressure on David's life. But as he and his men made their way back to their adopted city, a totally different scenario developed for the Lord's servant. The Amalekites had invaded the region. They had destroyed Ziglath, taking the wives and the children captives. That in itself is an interesting point. Whenever David was fighting in that region, he destroyed the men, the women, and the children, lest they would tell the king of Achish what he was doing. And now ungodly men preserve the life of David's wives, the lives of his men's wives, and the life of the children. Sometimes ungodly people can have higher standards. It's a challenging thought. But what we discover here for a period of time, the air was not only filled with the smoke from burning debris, but with the cries and the screams of men who emptied their emotional reservoirs of their hearts. The result was that they had no more power to weep. And this left a band of severely wounded men looking for someone to blame. And so their attention turns to a deeply distressed David, who they considered worthy of assassination in that we read in that verse 6, the people speak of stoning him. At which point, we read nine of the most precious words in the entire life of David. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David was in a spiritual and a physical cul-de-sac. His back was against the wall. But even in such an hour of extremity, he was drawn to this everlasting source of encouragement. Prayerfully, for just a few moments, we take our place with him. And we seek to apply the lessons here that the gracious Holy Spirit has ordained for our instruction. Let me emphasize the word himself. To me, this speaks of personal isolation. Very gradually, every human resource had been providentially whittled away from David. It was no surprise when the Philistine generals moved against their king to dissociate themselves 
uh, from David and his followers. But now, but now his own men have questions over his leadership and feel that he must be called to account. Uh, this meant that David stood as a nice, an isolated figure in the midst of Ziegler's desolation. His commander-in-chief had gone silent, as did Abathar the priest. Only the screeching echoes of his distraught men continued to unsettle the thoughts of his mind. I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like a oil of the desert. I watch and am as a sparrow alone upon the housetop. Bereft of human sympathy, the one who had been delivered from the raging lion and from the roaring bear and from the ruthless Philistine giant was now a broken specimen of humanity. He looked around him and he genuinely believed that no man cared for him. Spiritually, psychologically, and emotionally, he had been driven to the edge of human extremities, unable to solicit a molecule of aid from his fellow companions. He was in a place where many a dear child of God has been before, and where multitude of others have been since. Have you been there? I confess I have been there. Having those feelings of heart that no man cared for me. It's a familiar domain. It's a frequent territory for the children of God as it was for the Apostle Paul, who, as he wrote to young Timothy, he said at my first answer, and no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Prior to that, he had stated, all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. And to the church at Corinth, which he loved so passionately, he said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. We can include numerous men like Jacob, Joseph, and Job, who realized that this domain of personal isolation was one that they'd entered into, as have some of the most favored servants of God. However, There is one who entered that period or that domain of personal isolation that rises beyond the contemplation of any other. That is the blessed Lord Jesus Christ himself. How often do we read in the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ being alone? When he had sent the multitudes away in Matthew 14, 23, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, 
He was there alone. Several times in John's Gospel, we read of the Savior being defined as being alone. But when, but when we come to the cross at Calvary, there is a loneliness there that cannot be described with human word. I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. Then there is that most remarkable of all cries, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And while David's isolation could not be, be compared to the experience of the God-man, it nevertheless serves as a perpetual reminder of the Savior's words in John 15, verse 19. If ye were of the world, the world would love its own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. David had been chosen by God to be the human corridor into which the king of kings would enter this world. And he was hated for it. Several attempts were made to terminate his life before the plan of God would be fulfilled. But as anticipated, they all ended in failure. Simply because God had promised to David, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. For while it was in the heart of David's men to stone him, at a time of personal isolation, they could not suppress his passionate inspiration. For we read, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. The word encouragement is a very interesting word. It is a word that indicates a gift. Literally, it is the gift of courage or of confidence or of strength. Other words like incitement or hope are also used to give application to its meaning. But one thing is abundantly clear. David's outflowing of passionate inspiration was not the result of a self-created burst of internal energy. David, like many of us, was in a deflated state of mind. Euthymistically, the bubble had indeed burst, and all the memories of past victories could not inflate his dejected soul. He must first be restored to communion with him whose arm is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear, before his strength would be renewed. And all the evidence indicates that the spiritual passion 
that had characterized his walk with God at other times had sadly been ebbing from his ministry. This he openly and accurately acknowledges in Psalm 31. He said, my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength faileth, faileth because of mine iniquity and my bones are consumed. And significantly, he compares himself to a broken vessel in verse 12 of that psalm. As such, he had every reason to believe that he could have been discarded as useless for any profitable purpose if measured by the assessment of man. But thankfully, thankfully we read in God's word, a bruised reed shall God not break. And smoking flax shall he not quench. The reed, of course, is a reference to the organ. And when a reed in the organ is broken, it gives out a discordant sound. And the organist will take the reed out and cast it away and put in a new reed in its place. But God doesn't do that with his children. And maybe just in the gathering today, there are those who are broken, those who have been hurt, those who have been wounded. And there is a deep sense of uselessness entering your heart. Perhaps there's others who may feel that their spiritual flame that once was so ignited with zeal and enthusiasm has somewhat diminished. It's maybe just flickering at the very least. About to go out, as you might perceive it. Listen, as smoking flax shall he not quench. For even if it had been possible for David to summon one last ounce of strength from his life, it would have been to no avail. He simply could not recreate the gift of encouragement as was the case of Samson. Samson thought he could revitalize his own strength on the basis of past presumptions. Oh, I can bring back the past into the present. He thought. But he was left floundering in utter helplessness because the Spirit of God had forsaken him. Embedded into this Trinitarian action, there is a very divine established principle that is neither open to negotiation or compromise. And it's simply this. I quote the Savior's words from John 15. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And this is it. For without me, 
ye can do nothing. David could not encourage himself in the Lord from within. That encouragement that gave him a passionate inspiration was a gift from God. One final thought, and that is his prophetic identity. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. That would be a wonderful message. And it would undoubtedly continue to distribute portions of unbounded comfort. But those two words at the end are of great significance. But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. Those two words underline the intimacy of a relationship that was bound up in the incarnate Messiah. Prophetically spoken of as the seed of the woman, the line to the miraculous incarnation was providentially preserved through the genealogy of David. A genealogy that was targeted by forces of evil in their unsuccessful attempt to destroy the royal seed. But you know, it was impossible for David to lose his prophetic identity at the hand of Goliath or at the end of a spear in the hand of Saul or in the midst of a barrage of stones. He was confident that his own God would bless him. In fact, he said, his very own God. Thankfully, what can be said of you and me and said of David is recorded for our encouragement. Our Heavenly Father has so ordained that his intimate knowledge of his blood-purchased children is such he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He is not ashamed to be called their God. God is not ashamed of you. Though you may have let him down, as I have let him down, although you haven't been as zealous as you thought you should be, as I have failed as well. But he's not ashamed of us. He was not ashamed of David because in David he saw his beloved son. And in every one of us who are saved, God the Father sees his beloved son. Dr. Paisley made a lovely point many years ago in one of his sermons. He said, when God the Father looks upon the eyes of his children, he sees the reflection of God the Son. I'm glad 
that God doesn't see me as I really am. But he sees me in Christ as he saw David in that prophetic identity. And that is why we can read these lovely words with confidence. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And if you're not saved today, if you know not the blessing of what it is to have that intimate fellowship with him, could I encourage you to respond to God's word? That word that says to you, says to me, says to everyone, today is the day of salvation. God loves you today. He's not ashamed of his people. He wants you to come and be part of that blood-purchased band. But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his Thank you so much for listening. I trust that God will graciously write his word upon your heart this morning.